con langari fun slitakta ut am paukilit gikin fam datli paukilikizi Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. And over in Maine, we have Mike Lint. Hi. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Doing all right. Staying warm. How about you guys? Same. Apparently there's some football game or something happening. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So um, uh, this, this, this episode, um, it'll come out like a week later probably but uh just in case people hear some some yelling in the background uh probably it, it would probably be on my side but you wouldn't really know that but um we are recording this on Super Bowl Sunday while the the Super Bowl is going on so that that is a thing <laughs> um none of us were really super interested in watching the Super Bowl I guess I guess the Ravens are close to where my hometown is, but uh, eh. a lot of people up here. When I asked them who they want to win, they said they uh, they want the the not the Ravens to win because the Ravens kept the Patriots out of out of the Super Bowl. So that's the only um, inkling I have. I just root for the offense usually. <laughs> well, uh, but keeps it interesting. That's 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 interesting. Root for the offense, no matter which team is on offense at the moment. <laughs> yeah, because that way, I mean, you know, I, I don't really follow teams enough to really know a lot about defense. But offense, it's if you if they don't get a good point, then it's obviously, you know, oh man. I imagine if Green Bay was was uh, in it, then it would be insane over here. But yes, <laughs> we've had not. riots before. State Street was, you know, in flames. Do they? Uh, <laughs> wow. Do they celebrate like in Morgantown with with couches up there? Couches? Oh, um, this 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 uh, that's um. So Morgantown, when uh the university football team has a game, win or lose, uh, <laughs> the joke the um people will go out and burn couches. That's really really toxic. I actually saw there was a I one time when I was in when I was going to school I saw this sign off on a Lazy Boy outlet store or something and it said pit game on Sunday couches half off. <laughs> oh my god. It's such it a it's terrible. Like it's such a well-known thing even though I never saw actually I saw have anybody seen burn one. Okay, yep. you have seen it? Yes. I want to see some anthropologist from Mars come down to Earth and try to figure out what the hell is like, going on there. But it's so common and it's so so much of like a joke now that like the university bookstore in in uh, at WVU sells little candles in the shape of a couch. I've heard. I've also heard people say, um, you know, WVU where greatness is learned and furniture is burned. Okay. Of course, that's not our official motto. But, yeah. Right? Can we talk about our topic now? Because yeah, furniture is freaking me out. This is this, this this is that really that really freaks you out? <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's let's actually move on along and <laughs> talk yes. about something that has to do with language. Although you know, you we maybe you could get con culture ideas from the furniture burning stuff, but uh, 
we are going to talk about uh, sort of a creative process technique we can do. And I'm titling this episode Conlanging Through Translation. So this, this is, this is a thing everybody sees, you know, on the, on forums, there's the translation challenges. There's ev- uh, most anybody who gives people any advice about conlanging recommends that you do translation. So we're going to talk about not just the why you should do the translating, but how to get effective, be effective with the translation. But I think to start out, I'm going to start out with, uh, I'm going to let you start out, William, because you have uh, a couple notes on just in the first place, why translate? William? Uh, William says, oh. damn it, I kicked myself out of the conversation. Okay, well, I'll... And you might be back right now, I think. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> so just as I was throwing to you, you dropped. So uh, <laughs> what I was was saying is I was going to start with you because you have some notes on why oh. do you do translation in the first place. Sure. So one problem I have when creating grammar is I start to go a little crazy and come up with completely ludicrous sentences for examples <laughs> um and that sometimes happens in my dictionary as well these very bizarre sentences and i spend a lot of time talking about trees books um seeing things and so forth yeah so if you take even a small text and translate that that provides an opportunity to use more interesting examples that you know ex- exemplify what you're trying to demonstrate without giving people these ludicrous stilted sentences or yeah. um, some people give endless variations of the same sentence types or even yeah. the same sentences. And that's more confusing to me. So it gives you a little yeah. um, variation. I, I can understand that. Like um, uh, in my area grammar, you can see a whole lot of the sentences are variations on the man hit the animal, which <laughs> makes no sense in retrospect. You are that... very mean to you and the donkey beater story. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, doing translation and like this leads into another thing that you, you also have bulleted here is that you'll make more words because if you're just making sentences from thin air, you may just want to reuse things, but right. It, this will translation will help you build your lexicon yeah. and build and up structures. At the very, very beginning, I don't want to start translating. I'm happy to have a small controlled vocabulary just so that I can do things quickly and keep the words in my mind, right? If every new piece of grammar is accompanied by me agonizing through my dictionary, that's just going to get on my nerves. Hmm. So at the very, very beginning, a small, you know, lexicon is probably fine. So we're, most of this topic today, for most people, most of the time, is going to be a little bit more advanced when the basic character of the language is set, and now you need to refine things. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I did a, a little bit of work on Patron before I started translating stuff, but I really didn't have that much of it worked out before I started. Currently, I'm trying to sort of translate one sentence at a time. Yep. And, uh, uh, and, uh, I started out with the donkey beater story, by the mm-hmm. way. 
Good. Um, Soon yeah. to replace the Son of the North Wind and the Tower of Babel story. Well, I don't know. I I because I wrote it specifically as a test of certain things sure. for sure. grammar. Yeah, I think it's very it's very useful, and that uh that that actually leads into like what are you going to translate? Um, the the there's that one. Uh, the the uh, two that everybody translates almost is uh, the Bible, Bible text and the uh, North Wind of the Sun. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I've, I've done that one. Yeah. Bible text is, uh, which uh, for those who don't know, that is the, uh, I don't know chapter and verse on it right now, but it's uh, the story of the Tower of Babel from the Bible. Uh, I'm sure we could look that up. That's just sort of a traditional thing. Yeah. I actually don't necessarily recommend it for everyone. Uh, partly there's obviously a whole lot of cultural information wrapped up in that story because yes. mm-hmm. you have to have a word for God. You have to have, or some way of referring to God. You have to, uh, be referring to this actual real place in, in the real world. So, but then everything you translate is going to have some, some cultural stuff. Even our little tagline that we encourage everybody to translate. Welcome to Conlary, the podcast about constructed languages and, and the people who create them. Even just at the start of it, welcome to Conlary. There's a, a little bit of sort of cultural stuff going into just that phrase. Yep. The idea of how do you welcome someone? Would you? necessarily use the same frame phrase welcoming someone to your house or uh thanking them for listening to a uh a show or seeing a show and of course there's there's stuff like it's podcast is a <laughs> modern term that kind right. of stuff so right. and and the babel story is stylistically a little strange yeah the babel story um that probably depends on what translation you choose. If it's King well, James version, it's definitely going to be a little uh, weird. Yeah. Particularly for some of our listeners who are not native speakers of English. So, uh, or not familiar with the style of the King James Bible. So it's sort right. of, you, you pick and choose what version you, you want to translate. But, um, the, the, the sun and the north wind is a fab- one of Aesop's fables, and there are lots and lots of those that yeah, are very manageable sizes. Yeah. Um, so I recommend those. I have a few beyond that one that I like to use for translating. And they're really the good. The grasshopper. Pardon? The ant and the grasshopper. The ant and the grasshopper. I have one about an oak tree and reeds that I like. And they're really great because they have a little bit of conversation, a little bit of action. So they get you yeah. broad coverage on not just lexicon but also syntax and how do you yeah. deal with do you only have direct discourse, uh, discourse do you have indirect discourse how do you cope so yeah i remember <clears throat> when um when translating the north wind of the sun that for Iorio, i i stumbled across and this is something that is translation is good for i noticed that i didn't have a comparative construction for Iorio. yep but yeah. that's 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 something you need because the whole story is whether whether the sun or the north wind is stronger. So there's a whole bunch of variations on a comparative construction 
that you yeah. need to figure out how those are reflected in your language. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and even if you have all of your words, using them in a context will gives you an opportunity to think more carefully about how you really want to express things rather than just go word by word, you yeah. know, copying the words, copying the syntax, all of that. So um, I think a lot of the time people, especially early, they keep much too close to the original syntax of whatever it is they're translating. I think yeah. it might be worthwhile to spend a little more time stepping away and thinking about just what you want the style and the syntax of your language to look like. Um, because yeah. my big, my big thing, which I even made in a giant font in the notes and which I, for quite a while was um, trying to bang into people's heads on the not V language forums. When people were translating, you know, Metallica lyrics into not V translate the meaning, not the words. Yes. Yeah. Right. If you get hung up on a particular word, especially if it's in an idiom, then you need to step away and think about how to express the concept, not necessarily the word. I mean, for objects, you probably do need a word, but for a lot of stuff, you don't. You need to make the expression mean the same thing, not have identical vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and uh, one, one, a couple things in my notes. One thing is, yes, definitely don't translate word for word. Translate the meaning of the sentence. And... Uh, uh, my sort of test for whether I'm doing the translation right is whether it's hard to get the phrasing right. If um, this goes for translating natural languages, it's uh, translating is hard. And if your language is really, really a uh, um, actually a different language and, and, uh, behaves the way that you know a natural language would it will be different enough that you have to think very carefully about how to phrase things how things work and um i have a bunch of questions i listed about um that i think people should sort of ask themselves every time that they're uh when they're um when they are translating. Uh, do you, should I go through those or? Um, uh, sure. And then I'll add a little follow up to that. Um, okay. Well, I think I'll start with the phrases and sentences here. Um, okay. so when you're thinking of, okay, ask yourself, is this phrase or this sentence idiomatic in some way? And does it depend on a particular cognitive metaphor? So the idea is like, you know, you have to think think about what what the the phrase actually means, what the sentence actually means, and whether or not really another language necessarily would have to express it with the same words. It may may be totally different. And uh, another another thing um, would would your con culture even say this in the same way? Because um, you know different. Different languages just will completely phrase things in different ways. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I notice in Chinese a lot of things that, um, that you can't really translate directly, or if you translate them directly, they sound kind of odd. I, I remember reading a, uh, story about a whale that exploded in Taiwan, and, uh, there was a, uh, 
there was a quote from a person that said, who said it was very stinky. And I remembered thinking like, okay, well, in Chinese, that's possibly what they actually said in Chinese, because that would be how you would say it in control. But in English, if you say that, it sounds like childish. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there are so many ways to say for, you know, someone is sick or they died or that something, you know, manners of perception often have overtones. So if you take every single phrase for, for example, for someone to die and translate it with just one word in your language, your translation is missing the point. It's precisely to catch these subtleties that translation is a benefit to refine existing vocabulary and not just create new vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is, it is, uh, a, a really, uh, a big deal. And, um, and you might need to make a cultural translation. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of Aesop's fables were translated into classical Nahuatl. And they sometimes make changes to the storyline. First of all, there aren't lions in Mexico. There are, you know, uh, Mishli. What the hell? Uh, mountain lions. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, so they have to adjust that. But the character, the, the mythological character and the personality of a lion versus the personality uh, in rather a, a lion is conceived by Europeans and a mountain lion as conceived by people living in central Mexico are fairly different. So the stories were changed in subtle ways along uh-huh. the way. So not only is this an opportunity to make a translation, but if you're big into con worlding, you can also make a cultural translation. Hmm. Yeah. That's, and that, uh, that goes to the points of things like the, the tower of Babel story and, and stuff. And, uh, just anything's going to have any, any, any snippet that you translate is going to have some cultural information that may or may not apply to your con world. Right. So, uh, certainly makes it harder, but I mean, there's no rush, right? You're not, you don't have a deadline to produce a translation of the Tower of Battle story. Um, I remember, I, I, I actually remember when I translated a tagline, uh, I replaced podcast with like a, uh, like a play or mummers, uh, show is, is like the word that I used okay. because podcast would not exist in the world that, that Iorio exists in. Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say also, if you think about it in terms of the con culture, it gives you a lot more of a richness. Um, I know you mentioned not wanting to just relax English usually, unless that's what you're looking to do. But if you, you know, think about trying to make it, you know, make a point to make it, okay, what's a different way I can think of this than what English or whatever my L1 does it? So if in English you have, um, you know, the sun representing one kind of personality trait, uh, like William said, what other entity that might be in this con world could you use? It gives it just a different feel and really, I think, helps bring your language to life if you can give that kind of extra extra little bit of uh, effort. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's like, but it's not just cultural stuff, too. It's also just... Uh, Things like cogn- differing, differing cognitive metaphors, differing just ways of phrasing things. Like, um, uh, I was translating my donkey beater story and this is not really a thing. Uh, and it, I have a sentence beating is all the donkey knows this is a quote of the donkey beater talking. Uh, I must beat him until he kn- learns how to behave. 
And so uh, I hope somebody doesn't pull that out and and make it sound <laughs> like I said that. Uh, anyway, um, so getting at the meaning of that, you know, you 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 read that. If you translate it word for word, it would just sound like it's a particular style of English. But mm-hmm. like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, okay, what does it mean? The beating is what the donkey knows. Beating is, it just means that according to this guy, the donkey understands what's happening when it's being beaten. Hmm. So I actually ended up using a word that means understand. And it's, uh, I, I actually derived it from, I, I made it so like it comes from a, an older root meaning to see, pulling in a, a common cognitive metaphor and all right. that. Um, and then the other thing was, uh, I must beat him until he learns how to behave. He learns how to behave. What does that mean? Well, it's not just like he learns how to behave in any specific sense. It's, um, when you say that in English, it means, you know, you're it, referring to teaching something how to behave well, how to behave in the way that you want it to. So I actually, the, uh, what I said, it was it, um, it's like, um, it's hard to, to actually retranslate it back into English, but it's something like, it says, I must beat him to teach him behavior. And the word I use for behavior, I'm specifically going to say this means good behavior. This means like, uh, sort of like manners, although right. it's, it's, it's sort of less human and more, more applies to animals. So that's things that you should consider. And that's, uh, other th- questions I was thinking of is, you know, getting the meaning of the word, you know, when you're talking about even individual words, you know, can I get this word's meaning by adding a secondary meaning to an existing word, especially after you've got some lexicon built up? Right. Mm-hmm. How did this word develop historically? Is this, does this word depend on a cognitive metaphor? Are you going to be using the same cognitive metaphor as the English or use a different one? And, you know, mm. it depends on case by case. So you have to choose that. And, or can I derive this word morphologically and can I derive it in a different way than it's derived in English? So it's mm. just a whole bunch of different things you have to consider in order to prevent yourself from just relaxing English and even making words that look like english words that that could if you if you're not careful about it you could get really really just ciphery yeah one thing that i like to do um is taking for example you know you said you must be until he learns how to behave i like to sometimes maybe put metaphors in there that wouldn't be in there in english so instead of saying beat him until he knows how to behave maybe say, say something like you know beat him until his river runs runs straight or something like that something like that Oh so, yeah, that's, um, that's that's another thing you can do is like put an idiom where that's not really an idiom in English, and and it really helps kind of set it aside because then if you re- try to yeah. retranslate it, you can see okay, I can see how this would work, but that's not how English would do it. So yeah, well, I mean, I did a, a thing in uh, Iorio where I had I was actually translating a word that exists in Conworld, mm-hmm. uh, but I wrote it first in English and then translated it to Iorio, which. 
that's a different thing because you could actually change the original text to more reflect your translation. But I saw there was a bit, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, where there was a bit that said that these two sides in this war made peace. And I was thinking about that. And I'm like, make peace. That's really like an Englishy way to say that. I'm not going to say it the same way. So I changed it to promise peach. Peace, not peach. Promise okay. peace. <laughs> <laughs> that the uh, I guess you could promise a peach to to, to make it, but I I said it. promise peace. Instead of olive branch, they use a peach, right? Yeah. This is this is the the thing now. Some listener has to use promise the peach to mean make peace. Yeah, <laughs> so there's, there's no, but some it, language. But, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it, I I said promise peace, and that means to make a peace agreement to ceasefire to to make a ceasefire to make a peace treaty any anything that involves doing involves making peace between two sides because i thought of it as like you know it's not like you creating peace it's you promise not to kill each other anymore right yeah mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, as we go through this conversation, it should be obvious that it is very easy to fall down a vast, infinite rabbit hole. Oh, Oh, yes. So, I mean, that's a danger. So you have to figure out how crazy you want to go yourself. And you don't have to go equally deep all the time. And you might want to go back and revisit things, too. Yeah. It's also, don't be afraid to, like, revise your translation later. Yeah, absolutely. and, And also, don't be afraid to just, like... As you're making things, sort of assign a word just a very simple basic meaning when you're creating a new word, and then later come out, come back and flesh out details like I was talking about with, uh, I have that word right now. It's just lost as behavior, but I'm thinking I may go back and add in like, it's really more like manners. Maybe uh, uh, and make it specific to animals, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah just long-term process for these things. Yeah, um, and and you can you know change the actual translation a little bit around as you discover new ways to do things. It's just uh, you know, I think probably go definitely translate like sentence by sentence. But then you also want to go back and see about uh, after the fact and see if it all fits together. Uh, I also ha- listed a few questions about uh, uh, to ask yourself about discourse. What what discourse ma- markers should I add or subtract? Uh, do things actually need to be rearranged in order for the discourse to make sense in the conline? Uh, uh, the, uh, I keep coming back to the donkey beater story, but like the guy who made the conlang specifically for our challenge that I wrote the, the donkey beater story for, he had to actually sort of rejigger all the discourse command mechanics because discourse worked in a very different way in the conlang he constructed. Right. He had proximate obviet in the conlang and he will use made very heavy use of, uh, I think it was like passive and inverse voice tricks to make sure he kept one person at the front of this course in a way that doesn't 
really happen as much in English. Yeah. So right, or or we do in different ways, and there, are, and this to me is one of the great uh, things I wish we had more of. So one simple way to start with you know expanding your conlang with translation is to do something like use Gary Shannon's conlang test sentences. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yep. And they're very much focused on syntax. Yes. Right. Some simple tense stuff, simple clause structure, argument structure, relativization, subordinate clauses, all that stuff. And that's mm-hmm. good. But we don't speak in sentences. We speak in conversations. So how do you begin a digression? How do you come back from a digression? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you let people know that what you're saying should be surprising to them or if it should be perfectly expected to them? We don't have a lot of good material that really gives a workout for that. I mean, some of the, the longer uh, Aesop fables might work. Um, there's a, I don't know to call him, a rhetorician uh, from ancient Greece named Lucian, L-U-C-I-A-N, who wrote lots yeah. and lots and lots of little dialogues um, about gods and famous mythological beings uh, behaving um, pretty ludicrously. Um, and, and they provide an opportunity for this sort of a little more richness in the discourse as well. But we don't have a lot of things that let us test that, which is something I wish we had more of. I think definitely stories help, which is why. Right, but stories are large and terrifying. So you need to build up, right? Start with Gary sentences and then maybe short little things that give you some examples of um, some of these discourse tricks and changing focus yeah. and all that would be nice, but don't exist on your way to great big multi-page stories, which will obviously work out all of these things as well, but might scare people. It would certainly scare me. Mm-hmm. So um, those sentences you were talking about, those were the 218 sentences, the syntax test cases? Yes. Now, yeah, those, that's... I mean, they exist, they exist to make sure that you've got, you're missing, or that you have a way to express certain kinds of grammatical constructions in English. Okay, well, yeah. there are some... But mind when I was looking through those, I noticed that some of them say you're trying to translate in Spanish. You might be able to sp- say multiple ones with the same sentence. Right. He has some stuff in there that has to do with tests and aspect that yep. will all be much simpler. And that's true. And those are there at the very beginning. The further down you get, the more he works out um, straight yeah, up syntax. I think this was actually in response to – yeah, he was, he was in response – it was in response to some uh, – to an, another um, another uh, set of syntax testing sentences that he noticed were a little bit like too similar, and he wanted to sort he um, the those uh, syntax tests. I've tried to use them, but I haven't. I never really got very far. Um, mm-hmm. But looking at them, it is good, and it starts out with. Very simple, just like the sun shines, very basic intransitive, uh, sentence and builds up from there. So that's, that's a, uh, a, uh, good thing to, uh, work from, I think. Probably. And that's, a, and that's a great sentence because how do you say the sun is shining? Are you going to use the same word that you would use for other kinds of shining? It's an unusual word. It's not one I ever have early when I'm making a comment. But then the other. Then the other thing is that the sun, whether or not you say the sun is actually doing something or if the sun is like, uh, like, is it the sun actually, like the sun's not doing anything when the sun shines. It might even be a verb saying the sun is like, is shining. Maybe, the sun maybe, is shining. maybe you actually have like a stative verb 
adjective type thing. You say the sun, the sun brights or the sun is bright. Sure. Um, yes. Even the simple ones provide opportunities. <laughs> if you've done some, if you've done something funky with your verb, like if you have fluid S or something like that, then, you yeah. know, there might, there might be some fun going on there <laughs> uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not a- like you have to translate every sentence, right? It's there to help you test. So pick the ones that you think, and you can look at that and you can go, oh, yes. Oh, God, I've forgotten how to say whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's that's, that's a very useful tool. And like William said, that particular list is good for testing syntax uh, when you're – but uh, you also should have some somewhat larger text. You don't need to translate a book. There are some people who have translated – Alice in Wonderland into their conlangs, but I don't think I'm going to try it. Uh, partly because it's very long. Partly because Alice in Wonderland is freaking weird. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, the cultural translation is on that is going to be a pain. Very tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, but uh, shorter things like the Aesop's Fables, or you know. Little, little, you can have little snippets of stories from the Bible and stuff, as long as you, you're paying attention to cultural context while you're doing that, depending on, and obviously I kind of think of conlanging from my particular naturalistic conlanging for con worlds kind of perspective. So I don't, I try to choose, um, things that are less culturally involved. Um, like, uh, uh, even like the, the, the donkey beater story, if depending on your con world, you might not have donkeys or domesticated animals at all. Mm-hmm. Right. You may have to completely change the story. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have to think about <laughs> or find it or find a different story. Yeah. Hmm. Or find a different story too. It, it, at, at some point, sometimes it makes no sense at all. So. That makes that the you you may need to find a different story at some point. So, a lot of this I didn't write notes. I mean, I do use tr- uh, translation a good bit. Um, I like to use it because it gets you to pick a diverse array of words, and you're not find yourself you don't find yourself just saying the man sees a cat, the man sees a window, the man sees a dog, and you get bored. I think of looking around finding things to translate. But if it's in a story trying to get a point across, or even if it's just like translating something that you would read say in the newspaper or in the in a story or a comic strip um not necessarily very classical pieces but if you translate something more contemporary it'll give you a natural kind of um i guess cross section of what you might need to get that point across to you know convey it in a natural way you won't find yourself at a loss and it's a good way to th- when you're running dry in terms of what you want to come up next going through and doing a comic strip or doing um i don't usually go with poetry because that can get really heavy and it's very language specific in some cases how it's done but um you know maybe like fables are good Uh, i like to look at creation stories um Mm. they're all you know i like to look at those and i really kind of tend to lean on that a little bit to just see what kinds of things i need to work on and kind of make a not really like a checklist but in terms of this is what I yeah. want to get done. And another side of this is uh, 
probably to start with, you want to translate existing material from the real world just because yeah. it's easier. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you progress, you could do something that I did with Aerio, which I actually wrote an in-world story oh, yeah. um, that had to do with the history of that, the, mm-hmm. the Aerio, and then translated it. That's mm. that's another thing. Or, you know, some people might say, oh, well, if you're going to write an in-world story in your conlang, you should write it originally in the conlang. That's really hard. So I'm not <laughs> necessarily going to do mm. that. But write it, write it in your native language first and then translate it over. That, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of thing can make sense after you've progressed a bit and also after you've figured out some of the, uh, conworldy bits and stuff if you're doing conworld. William, I don't know how much you caught of, uh, Mike because you were sort of on the phone. Right. Uh, some of it. Um, I'm not sure that I have anything to add to what I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Does anyone really have anything uh, to finish off with? Because I think we can sort of wrap this up at this point. I think, I think so. A good bit. Um, I, you know, I don't know if William, you heard me when I was saying that we were talking about a lot of very traditional, very, um, you know, like like the uh, Aesop or Asip, the fables or the Bible stories. But I was saying another area you can look into is like comic strips or. Um, you know, newspapers. I know that's a little bit heavier, but I was saying while you were... Um, Actually, almost- I think a lot of newspaper, especially news stuff, is written at a pretty straightforward level. I mean, if your con culture does not have cars and car crashes and mm-hmm. political scandals, then you can't use it. But from a simple sort of straightforward kind of testing, I think it's pretty good. Um, I actually, for super crazy, heavy, advanced kinds of stuff, I sometimes like to think about um, pithy sayings or aphorisms or like obscure song lyrics. David Bowie's great for producing lines that are impossible to translate into any other language. <laughs> so, uh, like, what's a good one? Ashes to ashes, funk to funky, we know Major Tom's a junkie. Yeah, so translate that, that that's... into your language. <laughs> Is that the homework? <laughs> that's the homework, yes. Translate this David Bowie. Lyric. I mean, I'm picking that just at random, but any of these can provide an opportunity for thinking about something bigger to translate or even something small, but bigger in the sense of something to chew on and use that as an opportunity to work on your syntax and manner of expression and all of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's, there's so many, there's just so many different directions you can go with this. So I, I really think that it's important for um, it's important just to do the translation stuff. And to do it carefully. Do it knowing that if you're going to create an actual proper conlang, you're going to necessarily have to like change bits of the translation and reword things in order to the in ways that make more sense for your conlang, your con culture, all that stuff. Uh so should we shall we wrap it up then? I think so. All right. Yep. No feedback today. I will um say uh I don't have I need some greetings for the top of the show. Uh the details for that are on the contribute page of the site, but basically uh translate 
what I say at the top of the show every day. And, uh, uh, welcome to Conlang Area Podcast by Construct Languages and People Who Create Them. Uh, into your Conlang, send me an MP3 file with the, to conlangaryatgmail.com with the greeting in the subject line. And that, and you can have your Conlang on the show. The very first thing that people hear. So the, and, uh, we, we, we want more emails too. So <laughs> just conlanger at gmail.com for any comments or things that you want that you, you might like read on the air. We generally, when we, we want the feedback from emails on the air. Cause if you comment on the site, everybody just sees it on the site. Uh, but, uh, email. And also iTunes reviews. I haven't checked iTunes in a while, so we might, I might need to check that, but we always read the five star reviews on iTunes. <laughs> yes. Now someone's going to make a review that has nothing whatsoever to do with conlanging and expect you to read it on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway. I I will throw to William. Do you have any final words of wisdom? Get a tiny little notebook that will fit in your pocket and carry it as often as you can. Because I find I get ideas for things to translate and words and syntax. Usually not while I'm in the process of sitting down and conlanging. It comes to me while I'm elsewhere. So I come up with a way to record those ideas. Uh, I often get ideas in class and I just write them down in my notebook next to my class notes. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, I usually get those at work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to carry a notebook then. Yep. All right. And I'm going to say happy Conlang. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a conlang or natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. For the end of the show thing, I was just going to say the same thing William was, just, was said, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I forget to, to talk ask you? Yeah, well, I, I said, you know, oh, yeah, I find myself doing the same thing at work, so I was just going to say that that was a good idea, so. Oh, okay. Well, I'll splice, splice that in. What are your <laughs> final words of wisdom? Um, I think what William said is a great idea. Carry that little notebook around. Um, it's a great idea to have, and... When you find yourself thinking of an idea, you don't want to let, let go. Um, oh, and also with the Chinese, you said Cho, and Stinky is Cho. Cho? Oh, is that right? Uh, I looked it up. Hey. Yeah, if you hear the typing. Cho, okay. Fourth tone, Cho. But you said Cho, so. Oh, uh, I must, I just, I guess I always get that wrong. Hmm. I mean, it might cho. be. What's Cho? Like C-H-O-U, second tone? Yeah. Uh, it can mean to worry about, a chip in gambling, token for counting, uh, hatred, animosity to entertain, dense or crowded, 
Silk, forlorn, vexed, disappointed, to collate, comrades, grieved or pained, canopy. Oh, okay. Back and forth. So it means a lot of things. It depends. Yeah, as a Chinese, there are a lot of homophones. So. 